Welcome to Just Punk Enough. I am your host, Andy Harrison. Thank you for joining me. Uh, On today's episode, I got Cody Levitt, Las Vegas old friend. We've been in bands together. We discuss his record label, Asteroid M Records, discuss our time together in bands, and uh, it was good catching up with a true homie, this guy uh, I'm looking up to because he's really really responsible for... uh, a scene in Las Vegas, not all by himself, but he is pushing it, and uh, this guy's awesome. So, let's listen to this interview. Cody, yes, awesome, I loved it. I hit record. All right, got it. Cody, my man. Andy. What is up? Good morning. I just have one question for you, and is that is... Am I punk enough? <laughs> Are we here to determine that? Yes. Okay, cool. No, man. We all know that you're punk enough just by your haircut. I just, I need validation. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, right. <laughs> I think you and I are easily punk enough, bro. I hope so, but then I feel like if I say that, then like it takes me back to the point where I might not be punk enough, so I'm going to be very trepidatious about what I say I am. I know it's a weird. Um, you know, it's what, kind just, of a weird thing go we go through. We're where... not punk enough. We're just that's where it is. We're not punk enough, and that's why it's called this podcast. So starting over. Well, the problem is, I think that there's so many rules on punk. It's like, what is punk enough? But between you and I, I think we are, and I think that's all that matters. Fair enough. I'll take that. <laughs> all right, Code. So uh, let's talk about like when you were first introduced to. Uh, punk like what was your first like holy shit this is badass um so very easily for our generation it was fucking green day dookie because like yep you know it's like being being like a little 11 or 12 year old when that came out 94 so i'd have been 12 years old and you're like a little 12 year old snot-nosed kid who's like yeah fuck everything and you got this album with a bunch of dogs throwing shit at everything on the cover and it was like the coolest fucking album that a 12 year old could ever see the yeah. songs about jerking off and shit like that and uh that was my jumping off point and then you know since everything blew up right then um my my first purchase was offspring smash it was like 1994 you know okay. did like $10 worth of yard work and got offspring smash but yeah. uh and then immediately like within 2 weeks of all this happening then I went over to my friend's house who had much music back in the day and if anyone doesn't know much music was the Canadian uh MTV they probably still are I'm just not in Canada oh okay uh and so yeah he had like much music and much music was much cooler than MTV like they were really onto like the underground indie shit so I'd seen Rancid I forget which um what song it was but yeah I remember seeing fucking Tim's like Liberty Spikes and this is the first time I'd seen Liberty Spikes and just being like yeah what the fuck and then just all that attitude and fuck you and then I was pretty much hooked after that. And then uh, I'd, I'd say the next step after that was the Punkorama Volume 2 that I bought at Hot Topic in the Galleria Mall when it was brand new, like <laughs> one year old. And uh, yeah, then, then that was just it right there. It's like, oh, this is what this shit is. This is punk. Oh, okay, cool. Dwarves, you know, like I, yeah. all the old DFL. It just, you know, that whole comp was great. Just kind of like that's what you gravitated towards. Yeah, I'm like a kid slightly on the West Coast because we're out here in Vegas. And yeah. And there's all this fucking West Coast punk, and it's, uh, you know, the, the covers this fucking punk-ass E pissing on it. It was just the whole aesthetic of, of uh, 
what was going on in the 90s. Like, I was hook, line, and sinker, man. I was, like, that little white kid in the Pennywise video, like, just trying to be as cool as I could with my baggy-ass jingles and shit. And, yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> but you were into other shit that was not necessarily punk, right? Oh, 100%. I was into shit like ICP. We fucking loved yeah. ICP out here. Like, I was a very uh -huh. admitted juggalo. I was at the first uh, ICP concert at the Huntress Theater out here for the House of Horrors tour in, yeah. like, 1997. Um, I was really into, like, because a lot of my friends were into, like, the... Uh, post-punk type of stuff like the band i was in the people's whiskey uh before is the people's whiskey was like this post-punk band still haven so we we're into like glass jaw and um uh -huh. dillinger escape plan some tools just a lot of like stuff that was like pushing boundaries because we were like four fours for pussies yeah so we, we got into it we you know we were guilty of a little bit of that we we're just like oh is yeah. that is that a simple turnaround that sounds good and people like that's for yeah. pussies you know <laughs> and then after about two years of that you're like why doesn't anybody listen to our seven minute song that breaks into three different time signatures we're so good we should be the best in the world right now but nobody likes us at shows yeah no kidding dude they just want the pure pop simple shit yeah dude it's what i call the cheese pizza theory man if you go to a uh anytime you go to a pizza party i don't know if it happens that much more when you're older when you're younger there'd be pizza parties and yeah there's all the pizzas laid out and you got the fucking the meat lovers and the pepperoni and all the shit but guarantee you at every one of those parties, the cheese pizza goes first. And I, yeah. I I look at a lot of things in my life just kind of based off that kind of analogy. It's like something simple, easy. It's really what you want. If you ask people what they want, they might tell you, I want all this and I want all that. But realistically, yeah. they want a simple, good thing that's easy to consume, whether it be pizza, a pop punk song, or whatever the case is. So I, I try and keep yeah. that kind of close to my value system as far as not being too you know, up my own ass about technicalities. Yeah. I get it. What was your first uh, show that you went to, like punk show? Um, okay, it was OBC2 out here. Uh, uh, yeah. X1075 used to do their little, you know, our radio show fucking concert series and summer yeah. thing. And I went to the one in 1998, and the music that was popular, it was like the, right in the middle of the fucking ska revival. So um, yeah, got to see Bad Religion, okay, Bad Religion, Offspring, Blink-182, um, like Buck 09, like a smorg I couldn't tell you, but like a smorgasbord of every one of those yeah. ska bands that had a hit on the radio at the time. Yeah. Uh, Power Man 5000, fucking Florida, oh, cool. an amazing set. I was a huge White yeah. Zombie fan, and I yeah. could see uh, the lead singer's like half brother to Rob, Rob Zombie. And yeah. in the back, I could fucking see Rob Zombie, and that blew my little kid. My <laughs> he didn't come out, he didn't do anything. Oh, that's cool. But I was like, dude, fucking Rob Zombie's back there. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that concert <laughs> that would have been my first like. I mean, technically, it was Ted Nugent. I'm sorry. Technically, my first yeah. concert was fucking Sweaty Teddy, the Motor City Man yeah. Band. And the yeah. opening band was Laid Law. And it was like Laid the Law. most fucking butt rock thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so a couple years later, I ended up going to OVC. And I actually got to go with my friend who was a couple years older and in high school. And my mom let yeah. me go hang out. So I got like a whole day to be like, you know, like a what is it, 98. So I'd have been a 14 year old, like little shit bag all on my own. And I totally abused yeah. it. It was amazing. That's cool. So that one, that was like, oh, shoot, I got to fucking, I'm going to every show I can go to after that. Oh, 100%. Like show, especially, yeah. you know, and this is still like, I mean, the internet existed at this time, but this is what I'd call pre-internet because the internet just existed to go look at HTML pages of like finding out info and shit. It wasn't really yeah. directing you in any places. Right. Um, And so that like, you know, back in those times, like you had to get out to do something, to find out something, to know about something, to talk to yeah. somebody, to find out about a new local band for anything that required you to get out the house and go do it. So that was like, yeah, yeah definitely I'd picked up skateboarding at the time. The older kid was one of my little homies in the neighborhood that was, you know, we were all like little skateboarders. So then the skateboarding meant we could get places now like 
decently fast. Yeah. Like instead of taking an hour, because I grew up in Old Henderson at the time, it was very separate from everything. So instead of taking yeah. like an hour to walk somewhere, now we can get there in 15 minutes. Now we can get to bus stops. And yeah, then I just shot straight down Boulder Highway. And uh, my first local show in Las Vegas was a band called The Dirty Babies uh, mm-hmm. off of Maryland Park. And it was off of Maryland Parkway at some spots that everyone remembers out here. But um, yeah, that would have been, I think, 1999 at that point, when I, 1999 or 2000, when I first like realized that we had this thing going on in Las Vegas too. Yeah. Did you, when did you decide like messing around with instruments and stuff? All right. Well, I'm, I'm a late bloomer on that because I'd, I'd always have like an acoustic because, you know, I was like every other little kid in my generation who listened to Sublime. I was like, oh, if I get an acoustic and go to house parties, girls are going to think I'm cool and I'm going to get laid. <laughs> right. It didn't work out at all. But I had always <laughs> known, I'd always known some chords and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. Uh, so, I never really played though because all my friends were players. They were all those yeah. you know, aforementioned tech guys or you know technical right. players, you know, Louis and Justin and all them. And um, so um, uh, after they they they'd done their thing and then they had uh, broken up and then everyone got married and we moved into our twenties and I was like, yeah. "Fuck, dude, I'm never gonna get back into a scene again. I'd just be listening to punk at this point, kind of working yeah. on the strip and just doing my thing and being a little solo punk." And uh, yeah. Uh, at some point, I think around 25, my best friend divorced his wife. They got a divorce. And so he was back to like, yo, let's make some music. I want to go meet women type of vibe. So no then uh, we started the People's Whiskey. And I, I had never really played the bass. And so I picked up the bass like for probably like two months. And I was fucking horrible at it. Yeah, I, I was looking at pictures of our first show the other day. And it's just like ultimate peak cringe. Like one day I'm going to be showing these two people to get a good laugh. It's fucking horrible. But I, I I learned through trial by fire, man, just like f- fucking up like shows for like five or six months. People being like, your band sucks. And then like uh, just keep pushing at it. And eventually I had my first show out at the Double Down. And um, and that uh, was People's Whiskey? Yeah, with the, this was People's Whiskey. That's the first time I'd ever been in like bands or anything. That's crazy. I didn't realize it was so late. Yeah, like when, when, when I, I'd met you and uh, you guys picked me up for Surrounded by Thieves, I'd been, been playing bass like three years. Really? Mm-hmm. Dang, yeah, dude. I was, I was, like, I was the whole that, picture like, of you. Kid, bro. <laughs> I just didn't tell, yeah. you know, try not to play it wow. out that way. That's crazy because, yeah, I, I thought you had been playing for for years. I thought the whiskey was around for a long Nah, long I mean, they, they were, they were Louie and, and my buddy Tony Carboni um, uh-huh. and my other buddy Daniel. They, they had, like, the People's Whiskey was a band. I just wasn't in it. I was like the merch kid. Oh, okay. I was like the guy who would move, like, help him move stuff. I was the, cool, the coolest friend, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you, you were just hanging around all the time. And all then... the time. And then I would sneak. When, when, and so when the boys wouldn't be practicing, I'd be hanging out in the practice room. There used to be this space, Robert Allen Studios over here, and we had a rental space. And yeah. it was cool because, like, it was the rental space, and we were teenagers at the time, so it was like actually yeah. having our own house. So we would always just be there drinking and fucking around. So I would sneak in, and then me and the other boys, like I'd make music with the with the guys, but I just wasn't in yeah. that band. And uh, but but even then, like I don't really consider myself like because I never pressed myself to learn or, or hold anything down until the people's whiskey. Yeah. So you know, I'm, I've only yeah, I've only been playing. I'm 37. I've only been playing like 12 years right now. So how did you get into whiskey then? Because Justin said, Cody, pick up the fucking bass. We're going to start a band. I was like, all right. <laughs> and then it just went from there. Just straight went from there. And then he, we played him with people's whiskey at first. It was just a bunch of like uh, us pretending we were Hank 3 and shit because we were like Hank 3 had just came out. And this is pre, yeah. and, and this was pre, like, this is when you could be a cowpunk and like Trump had ruined it for everyone. So yeah. like. We had our little like we're cowpunk thing going on, so it was a yeah. lot of fun. But then like you know, as the years get older, like 
uh far right people have really co-opted that vibe so i kind of don't it's like i don't even go out to henderson no more like it's like it's kind of crazy all the kids like i grew up with just kind of like uh turned really really hard one way or the other and i don't care what anyone's yeah. political leanings are but yeah it just got a little weird for me when i had mexicans who were supporting weird immigration laws that i grew up with i'm like what the fuck man <laughs> yeah because you i mean when you guys first started you were like way more raw than you were now yeah like everything because you yeah. were yeah we're on an indefinite hiatus at the minute but you know, yeah yeah uh but yeah yeah because yeah, i remember we when really i first saw you because i didn't know my yeah, fucking instrument <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I meant you were more like you were definitely more Hank three yeah. punk. There was a lot of you know bum, what bam, I mean, and then going on. Yeah, yeah. And then I know, and I you know noticed like later on, you guys kind of um, went to I don't alternative know, smash, smashing pumpkins ish. Yeah, it, which is a huge, also admittedly super fucking huge influence. I fucking love the yeah. smashing pumpkins. I think yeah, one called Infinite Sadness is one of like the best fucking records ever yeah. produced in almost any aspect that you could think of. Yeah. When did so when you Steve wasn't in the band when you no. were in there right no no Steve Steve uh, Steve came later about two years in we um, we had a uh, we had Justin had he's his server he had dropped a glass and went to catch it and it broke and he basically sliced the interior tendons of his thumb had to have yeah. surgery and couldn't play for a couple months but it was right in the middle of like we had like five bookings. Um, so Steve oh, was in the Scoundrels, and we'd played with the yeah. Scoundrels a bunch of times. And then yeah. so um, Louis was had just started drumming for the Scoundrels, and then we were like, "Well, hey man, you got our drummer. We need your guitar player to make this work." Yeah. And Steve was like, "Oh hell yeah, man!" And then it was just on <laughs> on after that, man. That was like 2012, I think. Yeah, because he added a lot of the chicken picking type stuff. Yeah, he's actually talented more. at leads. None of us know our <laughs> fucking music, and so like it was like, oh cool, we got a guy who actually understands theory and we you know can do stuff that we can. So yeah, and he's like our big brother, man. I argue with that motherfucker. I love that motherfucker. He's like the coolest dude. Yeah, ever. like he's a for real big brother. Like he looks after me. Like I love that guy. He's been a great him and his whole family have been like just great for our life. So that was cool. Lucky yeah, addition to get along too. the way, right? It's the friends we met along the way, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> well that's cool so with the whiskey and stuff you got you guys didn't really like tour or anything did you like mini tours and stuff mini or? tours it's about the same shit we did with sbt we're just be like all right let's yeah. go bust out uh la and fucking phoenix okay let's go yeah. bust out san diego and phoenix okay let's go bust out phoenix and riverside <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know yeah well then you were in sbt for a while yes with you yeah with me and that was awesome i remember freaking kind of an awkward way of getting you in the band but it just happened yeah so i'll tell the story because <laughs> from my perspective there's um how this all came about me playing with andy in a band was there is um these people called they, we call them the sams it was sam and sammy they were a couple and they were married and they would throw these like opulent like awesome like eight course meals they were great chefs and they had a nice little fucking house and they'd invite like all the dudes that they were friends with from the punk scene to come out and have like these basically like you know kind of elite vip punk dinners would just be like bands hanging out and so i got wind of this and me and my buddy started going out to him and at a certain point i met brandon who was the lead singer of surrounded by thieves at the time and so we get to talking and he's like oh yeah you know we we might be in the market for a bass player this and that and the other and i was uh <laughs> just just freshly getting into the scene and i was really like like i love my cow punk shit and i had a blast but i really wanted to do some punk shit and sbt was doing kind of the shit that i like so i was like oh cool man yeah let me and so he was like why don't you come check out a practice and see if you vibe with us and i was like perfect that sounds like the perfect idea 
So I go there expecting there to be a bass player that I'm going to meet who's going <laughs> to hand this torch off to me. And, uh, you know, it's going to be this amicable kind of thing. And I get there and there's no bass player. And I, I, they're like, yeah, come on in. And I'm like, yeah, our bass player couldn't make it today. And then I'm starting to get the vibe. Like, you know, I, I, it's like, uh, okay, I see where this is going. Like, right. Like if, if we, it, it, this was the equivalent of like, if they were drunk dudes at the bar and I was a college frat girl, this would be the getting in the car and like, Hey, do you want to do a line of blow? And you're like, you know what? I should probably get out right now. Otherwise I'm, I'm in for this. And, uh, I was like, shit. And so right about then, um, they were like, well, you see that bass sitting in the corner. It's all hooked up. Do you want to jam? And I'm like, fuck yeah, let's, let's jam. And, uh, uh, yeah, so then we jammed, and I had some fun, and it was punk rock, and go figure. It was all, like, you know, three, four-chord shit, so I was able to follow along, and apparently the bass yeah. player before me had a problem following along to that shit, so yeah. I remember Andy, our, our beloved host here, um, he made <laughs> <laughs> probably the most impersonal... <laughs> I'm sorry, dude, I got to drag you under the bus on this. The most oh, fucked up and personal way I've ever seen anyone <laughs> fire someone from the bend. He just, like, straight, like, cold like a manager calls this kid up and goes... Hey, uh, so you're not at practice again today? And the kid's like, yeah, I still don't have a car, or whatever the fucking scenario was. He goes, yeah, um, so you're not in the band anymore. We're going to have to let you go. We got this kid Cody in here, and uh, yeah, he's going to fill in. And you could, I was like probably 12 feet away because he'd walked around the corner to do this. But you could still, you know, on cell phones, you could still hear, and you could hear the kid like, like, what what do you mean? Like, are you serious? Like, it was so fucking sad. And I know. If rough. I was a good person, I probably should have been like, fuck these guys. But I'm not. And I was like, dude, these songs are awesome. And I felt really bad, but yeah. I was like, fuck that kid. <laughs> I felt bad too, dude. It's the first time I ever had to be a dick. And I was like, well, nobody else is going to do it. I guess I got to be the dick. Hey, you know, there's something to be said about that. Because, like you said, you know, it's got to get done. And if, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's sucks, like, let's not man. pull this off slow. Let's not take him out to dinner. It's like, hey, sorry, was his name Chris? Yeah. Sorry, Chris, you're not yeah. in the band. <laughs> oh man yeah he was pissed oh yeah, well yeah. fuck it i was like jamming but, on his gear yeah <laughs> the band was so much better though when you joined it was just like yeah. a, a breath of fresh air like oh this is what it's supposed to be like you know what i mean yeah man i, I well you know me like I, I basically i'm not trying to be the best anything but i'm trying to be the best yeah. cody and have the most fun i can and i feel right. like anytime people are inhabiting who they are and having fun with that and then you do that on a stage to punk rock you don't got yeah. it. It doesn't matter if I missed this one or that one. Like as long as you're giving a good performance, you're smiling, and people are having a good time. It brings a lot to to, to bands. So like, yeah, I see so many bass players that are like technically way more proficient than me, and people are going outside to catch drinks because they're bored. You know? So. Yeah. Well, it's like the my whole thing was you weren't a cocky prick. You were cocky enough, but you were like, okay, I can change that. Confident. You know, it's just like you were easier to work with and uh, whatever. But it was fun. It was awesome having you in the band. Yeah. And we, we tried to do stuff. And I wish we recorded a full length, but we do have that EP. Yeah, we got the we got the EP. And technically, I wrote like a lot of the bass lines for the full yeah. length. And then I yeah. chose my replacement to play my bass lines yeah. for the full length. Oh, it don't yeah. matter. That was all the big time stuff because I couldn't be. Uh, we, were, we were all on this local label, Squid Hat Records. And it was determined that the likelihood of one of our bands blowing up was so high that I couldn't be in yeah. both because yeah. the obligations that were going to be needed to be met by one of these impending blow upperies that was going to happen to one of our bands, we yeah. were all going to make it, meant that I couldn't be in both bands. So then yeah. I had to stick with my boys in the whiskey because that's where I started. And then uh, 
actually when I, uh, I was talking about earlier how we first went out to the double down and that's when it first started like as the whiskey started playing and that's when I really like kind of realized like oh shit that was like the genesis of me getting better as a bass player I saw this guy yeah. Eric Lau who was the bass uh-huh. player for the Tinglers and the dude was just fucking crushing it, like getting down damn near on his knees yeah. and just fucking. It was. Yeah. I was like, you know, I, I was Dude's horrible awesome. at the bass at the time, and then it set this bar for me. Like, oh, that's yeah. what being a good bass player is. So that dude's the dude who later on ended up being my replacement. So it was kind of this weird full circle thing. So I don't, you know, I never had any negative reservations about any of the shit, anyways, because right. who cares? But um, yeah, it was just kind of cool. Like, all right, well, if it's gonna be a bass player, can it be this guy that I love? And then yeah. <laughs> I, I love Eric Lau, but then I did I do like fast picking style in my punk. So then you got this guy who's like a traditional finger player, and he's got to yeah. come in and go back a deck a deck a back a deck a back a deck a deck a back a deck a deck a back a deck a deck with his fucking finger. So I he I know yeah. he had a fun time though that first year like readjusting from like kind of like cool right. rock and roll style bass playing to back a deck a deck a deck a deck. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. So when did you when when did you start recording bands? Because I remember you started doing stuff at Camel Hump. Right. Yeah. So with the people's whiskey, like we, needed a, we needed a means to record. So we took like our, you know, first like three hundred dollars and, and got one of those Porta Studio DPO twos that you can do everything and burn the CD on it. And yeah. uh, so I started fucking around with that. And I've always liked like electronics and recording and stuff and mixing. And so I was doing that for the whiskey. And I did like the first couple demos. And I still listen to them now. And I'm like, oh man, I I did like pretty good. Like the parent that yeah. like there was something there. And then um. Uh, we had a friend, Rustin, who was kind of like the home engineer dude out in Henderson who had like the actual studio set up and I'd go be around that. And then eventually yeah. just being in Camel Hump enough, like I'd kind of known known what was going on. And then uh, John Brown's a fellow nerd like me. He was the uh, owner of Camel Hump Studios and Punk Rocker. And he was also in our band later, New Cold War. But he uh, he would just be cool like, yeah, this is a fucking preamp. This is what this one does. And John pretty yeah. much just broke the game down for me. And then I was just hook, line, and sinker. And then... Uh, yeah, I was just, they couldn't kick me out of that place. I was there all the fucking time. I know, dude. I love that place. I miss, I really miss those days and the John Brown recording days and shit. Yeah, dude. And John Brown, dude, you still go listen to his, his stuff, dude, was a fucking killer engineer. I mean, it is. I mean, he's, yeah. right now he's engineering yeah. for like sports radio broadcast shows that are on direct TV and shit, yeah. but like he's moved up a little bit more than our little local shit that I'm still in, but man. So what was the first like legit recording? I remember. This is what I remember going into practice and you had in the middle of the two rehearsal spaces you had a little setup and I think you were recording Antivision, weren't you? Yeah, Antivision uh was my first ardent like I'm recording a band that's not mine who's like we want to pay you. And Antivision yeah. at the time was a bunch of fucking little 15 and 16 year old kids. Yeah. And uh they were hell bent on wanting to do it live cuz um oh, uh, shit. Uh, the, the Keith Morris that. band off was yeah. that was right when off was like fucking just dropping those three albums and everyone was like dude yeah. this is a shit so yeah. they were all like that was live so we're gonna do this live and i was like dude i can't do it live and uh <laughs> so i remember brian dugan went and he bought me this like 1977 like tapco six channel mixer that actually had outs <laughs> from the mixes and he's wow. like okay or you know it didn't it, it just it was just shit like shitty actually it's probably cool now i'd probably love to have it now because it's probably yeah. some crazy vibe that now that i'm an engineer i'd be into but anyways, yeah. at the time, it was just like, here's this shit six-channel mixer that we're going to dump down into two for drums. And then, you know, I forgot even how we do it. We stacked on top of that. And it sounds like shit. You can't find these recordings anymore, thank God, because oh. everything's been taken down. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was Anti-Vision was the first recording. Then the C- CGs. 
And then I did an anti-vision CG split. And, and it, was that the same equipment, or did you... Yeah, you, this was all my Porter Studio all, shit, yeah. And it was all at Hump? Yes. Yeah, it was all at Hump, so... I <clears> never, <throat> would never say that, because, like, I, it was at Hump, but I didn't record through their gear or anything, so it wasn't, like, indicative of the quality. Oh, yeah, you couldn't there. really claim. Yeah, yeah, you couldn't claim. Right, but so I never did. was that what... Was that when you, I mean, were you catching the bug then? Was it like, oh, oh shit, dude, this is. Being at Hump was like. This is it. Was hands down it. Because like, and you know where I come from is like, uh, is like a lot of, like, I lived in a blue collar neighborhood that had trailer parks and projects in it. So like a very yeah. multicultural background growing up. So yeah. the Hump was like fucking my neighborhood. I loved it because you. I'd be sitting there, and it'd be hit me and my punk rockers. You have yeah. like Ogino coming through, or, or like Splash God, and like you have some <laughs> right. fucking Bloods and Pimps coming through like that. But like everyone's cool, and everyone's sliding the same way. And I'm just out for yeah. smoking some weed, and they're like, yeah, and, and like it was cool. It's just like a bunch of people from the same city trying to make music, and we're all pointing in different directions. But like that vibe was very unifying there, and I absolutely yeah. thrived there. And I'm still friends with people to this day from that studio that I consider really good friends because, man, yeah. it, like you said, it was one of those place and time type of moments. So yeah, that you're lucky I, enough I to get I love that place. I saw pictures the other day of like when Hump used to own like uh, that warehouse down a couple. Yeah, and we did a that couple uh, from it. Fourth of the, July, Fourth of July thing, and yeah. I was just like, damn, I miss things like that where people owned something big that they could actually do what they wanted to in there, yeah. music wise. You know what I mean? It's just. So uh, yeah, those days are over, probably for me. But you know, whatever. Yeah, it's because you live in Reno, though. <sighs> There's shit like that there, but it's like hard to convince people. I mean, the brewery now has has kind of has a warehouse that I'm like, hey, can we do like some shows in there and stuff, <laughs> like some some homie shows, you know, like old school hump days, and we'll see. I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I totally feel like a teenager every time. I'm like, let's play a fucking warehouse show, dude. <laughs> Dude, it's where it's at. Like, um, I'm not mad at anything. So in the last two nights, we had a we had an all ages show on Friday night for Anti Vision at this place called the Truth Spot. The Truth Spot's a yeah. converted. Um, it's a, it's it's a poetry gallery that they're you know letting us do shows there occasionally. Yeah, and uh, it's cool as fuck, man. It's right down on Maryland Parkway, and you know we had like yeah. something like 200 kids inside this little like you know commercial mall unit, fucking packed yeah. to the brim. Going crazy, having a blast, man. And uh, yeah. And then last night we had I uh, had a show double down. We had like TV tragedy, and you know them. They've been around for fucking ever. They're killer, fucking killer now. Like if yeah. anyone's listening to this and they like just fucking good, straight up like street punk style, fucking TV tragedy from Arizona. Absolutely is that Mouse? stellar. Yeah, that Ma- dude yeah, Mouse yeah. is like my front yeah. man of the year, dude. They fucking slaughter it. But yeah, we had a great dude, show that's to cool. double down. And it was packed. There was like 150 people to double down. If you haven't been there, it's yeah. a real small bar. So 150 people is just like yeah. nuts to butts all the way through. It was a uh, really cool. Dude, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I saw that they played the night before in Havasu. Yeah, with heart with, with, with guilty. guilty. So it's just yeah, yeah, it's it's cool, man. It's like um, there was kind of everything kind of out here lulled off for a couple of years with all of our, of our constituents and our friends from our era, and yeah. now it's all back full swing. We're, it's it's like right now we're in a revival. It feels like straight 2010 right now. It, it's really cool yeah. out here. Yeah. So what was the what was the next steps to like deciding to record bands and stuff? Was it like setting up the home studio? Yeah, I moved in with uh, my now fiance, and um, uh, I had gotten at that point uh, John Brown and given me their old like Digi O2 board mixer uh-huh. thing. So now I had yeah. eight inputs in, so it was fucking game over from there on out yeah. pretty much. Um, I had a little small small bedroom at the house I was living in, and uh, 
I set shop up in there, and then I was lucky enough to live with this guy, Mike Lavin, who's pretty well known on the West Coast as far as audio engineering and more specifically uh -huh. mastering. And so he was my roommate, and this guy's like for real, for real, top level engineer, trained in the 90s, like at big studios by big name producers, like the real deal. And now this guy's my roommate, but he also happens to be a punk rocker who used to be in this Recess Records band, the Civic Minded Five. So yeah. he's, he, again, he besides Steve Dizarn, Lavin's my other big brother. And so yeah. then I, I was lucky enough to sit there and I'd be having bands come through and I'd be butchering them. And he'd come in and be very nice about like, oh, yeah, so you see how you're kind of like absolutely <laughs> fucking this up right here? Yeah, yeah <laughs> And he'd be really yeah. cool about it, right? So I, I got to live with an audio a high-level audio engineer for a couple of years. And that, yeah. that really, I mean, I, I feel like that saved me so much time trial and error because like i feel like a lot of things that you, if you don't get an education in this that you'd have to learn by fucking up yeah he would just be like see that roadblock coming up ahead avoid it type of stuff and you're like oh yeah. i don't have to wait for a whole new band to book to try and avoid that you know what i mean yeah and um yeah so it was like this real cool crash course and it was this intensive like i was recording all the time as much as i could for free for as many people as i could and if anyone out there is getting into the audio engineering, I highly recommend take your money out of it and just record as many people as you can for free until you feel good enough to charge. And yeah, uh, yeah I did that. I think that took about two years, two to three years. And then I started charging, you know, like $20 an hour or, you know, yeah. bring me, bring me so-and-so amount of IPAs and, Right. Uh, well, how did you? How were you getting bands? Was it just like word of mouth type stuff, well, or you weren't you seeking know me, bands but not, out? People might you? not. I'm pretty much like a social butterfly, and I kind of like yeah. know most of the people in my scene. Anyways, I try yeah. not to be a dick, and I try and be cool, and like, right. do, I, I feel like if I do pe people favors, my life's just easier, and I, I try to like yeah. live by like taking care of other people. So then, when it came time to be like, hey, I'm doing this recording thing, and then also yeah. I work in the scene with a bunch of young and upcoming bands. So like, if you listen to Anti Vision, like all the recordings back that is like that the history of both of us as we've progressed in, in our musical endeavors me as an engineer and them musically so we're about to drop shit now that we're like dude this is so fucking good and yeah. we've 100 percent grown together so I, I was lucky enough to not just like uh, have my studio and be working with bands but be working with really hungry up-and-coming bands who trusted me and we developed relationships so i got like multiple yeah. multiple bands that i'm friends with that so we've cool. developed together so it's like it's not like they're mad at my like you know whatever mic choice or placement because they're worried about getting that riff right and so we were all pushing each other in this real yeah. healthy kind of thing so again i've just been very blessed to have like already been in a scene and known the, these people so when i was like hey i'm gonna start recording it was like cool because no one was really recording them at all so i was you know it's just diy like no one's gonna yeah. do this and we don't have the money to do this so let's just solve our own yeah. problems so when did you decide to start asteroid m then during this time, I yeah, I remember uh, you done like this logo for me for Werewolf Media probably in like 2014, yeah. and yeah. that was originally when I wanted to do this. But then I also realized I want you know I, I I'm not one of those people who thinks everything I do is the best fucking thing in the world. Like I'm very realistic right. about the fact that like I'm a local label with local bands, and that's not to say that yeah. I don't put out fucking great music. But I'm also like I can't stand when people are like we got the best fucking things gonna like. Yeah. I don't care if shit's going to blow up. What I care about is <laughs> right. documenting good culture and me and my friends pushing yeah. each other to create the best art possible. And if people follow, cool. And we're getting our little following, and I'm happy about that. But, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's not... So Werewolf Media was going to be, like, your... your your thing but then you decided yeah, to well, go I did, what i was going was is like i didn't i decided at that time that i wasn't good enough in my craft yet to represent on that level so yeah. somewhere around 20 or 15 or 2016 i was like once i get comfortable putting out like when i put out mixes that when i listen back to them i don't hate them yeah 
I'll start moving into some stuff. And then, um, so somewhere around 2017, I put out a CG's, the last CG's album, and it, I fucking love it. And to this day, I can still listen to it. I don't hate the fucking mixes. And I did that shit on like Behringer equipment and like, you know, not a lot of good, like barely all cheap yeah. condenser mics. And I fucking am still stoked on the sound. So that's when I was like, all right, I can start moving into this. And then it was about a year later, and then we got uh, Sector G, 7G came in to get um, a couple songs, and we did our first release with them, and that's when I was just like, okay. yeah, we're, we're going to do this. So I think like 2017, the that's summer the of our 20, Thoughts and yeah. Prayers? Yeah, Thoughts and Prayers is the first release. Yeah. And, then, and that's uh, the, you did all that. I do everything. I, every album yeah. that's on the thing, I've done everything from top to gotcha. fucking bottom. Because awesome, I'm dude. a megalomaniac. Not really. Mostly just because it's fucking expensive to get high-level stuff. And I've trained oh, myself yeah, at this dude. point to be decently high-level enough that, like, yeah. I can I can do for my artists better than what they're going to get locally around town just because I have the time and effort and they don't have to spend $50 an hour to, you know what I mean? Yeah. So is there stuff that is out there that's not on your Bandcamp, Asteroid M? Or is nah, everything that you've done? Right I've recorded on, a bunch of stuff band. for other bands and shit um, that aren't on the label. Um, oh, I got you. But no, yeah, everything's that's what on Bandcamp as of right now. I have like, I think we have like seven to nine releases stacked right now, ready to come out. So, Jesus, that's crazy. What other bands have you recorded that are not on Asteroid? Oh man, um, a bunch. We just finished off uh, Capital Punishment. Um, there's some cool, really cool cats oh, okay. out, and um, like the Kingman scene is kind of coming up right now. And uh-huh. uh, shout out to Jared and the kids uh, down there. They're like. Um, uh, Sap Sour, and then what's, what's the other one? You're gonna kill me. I hate when people ask me stuff because then I forget it. Oh, no, I it's get like it. going to the record store and you're like, I'm gonna get <laughs> no, this I album, know. and you get there, like, what album was I gonna get? Yeah, Boss <laughs> Hectic. All good. Boss Hectic is the other one from uh, down south. Um, and then Skull Drug, right? Did you do yeah, that? Oh, yeah, or Skull you Drug, did a but we, re- split. we released Skull Drug on the label, so yeah. on, that on the label, yeah, yeah. so they're technic- that's technically on the label. Um, uh, so let's get back to let's get back to the label so that so. Sector 7G was your first one. Yeah. And then uh, the DI Boys was the next. Yes, Desert Island, Desert Island Boys. I fucking love those guys. And, uh, yeah, Desert Island Boys was next. I'm going to have to go. Uh, let me pull up the page. No, it's all good. I'm, I'm looking right now. But okay, cool. Are you guys – so, I mean, it's just really – you don't really have a plan. Like, sometimes you put out an EP. Sometimes you do a full album. It just kind of depends on what – these bands want to do right no i totally have a plan it's just not a traditional business structure like my plan is basically to document as much culture from my town and try and present it in the best form possible by the time i die yeah and um, i got you we're working really hard right now i'm, I'm transitioning a lot into um, video because i firmly believe that like much like old time am radio by the 70s was dead and people are like we're not listening to that talky shit we're fucking rock and roll radio yeah um and then by the time, you know, you get to nowadays, like, um, I feel like a lot of just the traditional people listening to audio is almost dead for people under 30, right? Yeah. A lot of that shit's, yeah. like, got to have video videos associated with your content's got to be a multimedia thing to keep people's attention nowadays. And so instead yeah. of being, like, an old sourpuss and be like, you know, and I, this is no offense to any of my friends at all, but, like, um, I know a lot of people are just like, I am going to only put out vinyl and that's fucking cool and i really respect yeah. that i just don't i can't take those kind of losses to be honest with you yeah everyone no, i know I that puts it. out vinyl sits on stacks of fucking vinyl just to be like i have vinyl yeah. so early yeah. on in the record label like i used to be really sensitive about the fact that i don't produce physical media and now i'm like yeah. starting to be like you know what i'm gonna be ahead of the curve because i'm gonna have this mountain of fucking digital content that's free yeah. that everyone can go back to by the time a lot of my peers realize that like 
not to say the physical media is dead. It's not by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. But the new frontier for getting new and younger fans is definitely multimedia output. So yeah. I'm trying to transition from just being engineering to being like engineering like full fucking service. What do you want to do? Do we want to go to a mountainside and shoot a concert or do we, you know, stuff yeah. that gets the, uh, like I, I'm trying to capture that American bandstand aesthetic. Cause we have like this, I'm out on the West coast. I'm in this scene with like predominantly really fucking hip multicultural kids who are like, you know what I mean? If you, I imagine if you're from somewhere like Iowa and shit, you would die yeah. to be at one of these house shows where there's like yeah. 200 fucking amazing kids going nuts. Everyone's chill. The vibe's great. So like we really have some like lightning in a bottle here. So my idea is like with asteroid M is just to capture as much as this as possible and present it because at a, at a certain point, like the same thing that's happened with any other scene that's come before, you know, we be it like, you know, the lookout scene or the sub hop scene or fucking, you know, uh, anything on that fucking East Coast that happened in the 80s from the hardcore scene, like, it's it's like a, you know what I mean? Like, you just pay attention. Like, the, the, the focal point isn't this end game of, oh, we're going to sell this much or I'm going to get this many views or whatever. Yeah. The focal point is, like, that was really cool and people enjoyed it and we enjoyed doing it. How can we push ourselves to make something more enjoyable, more fun, and just ride yeah. that roller coaster as far as it would go? And I feel like, you know, like, people click on shit that's interesting. And if you're doing shit that's from the heart that's cool and interesting... That's the what that's that's the end game for Asteroid M is like yeah. I want this to be a, a vehicle for bands to spring off and be successful. Like to be honest, like yeah. I don't like there's probably never going to be a huge monetary gain running a fucking digital label, right? Like yeah. I, I just now like we we do we do decent online streaming, like not bad to the tune. We're like I just got to like sixty five dollars a month, which covers yeah. approximately ninety percent of the subscriptions wired to, <laughs> required to run the label every month. You know, <laughs> you know. So um, yeah, the idea is to basically be able to get to the label where it's functional enough that maybe I'm getting a couple racks coming in a month that I can like set up proper music videos for like real proper music videos for my artists, real proper festivals yeah. and like just to continue to self-perpetuate itself. Like that's all I want the label yeah. to do. Like I'm, I'm a man and I make my money outside of the label, but this is my labor of love to like, see if I can make like um, a self-sustaining mechanism that develops culture out on my, yeah. on my side of the country. And so that, that's I, it. Yeah. So I think just continuing what I'm doing, which is just recording, recording, shooting, 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 editing, editing, mixing, recording. And, yeah. That's yeah, that's that's the end game, man. It's just to get as much people paying attention to what we're doing out here as possible. I love it, dude. I uh like uh, you know, as long as we've been friends and I've seen you've been doing this, I'm like, Jesus is getting better and better and better. God, I and hope like, so, man. Wouldn't it be horrible if it was getting worse and worse and worse? I know, like, yeah, hey, I know. You know I mean what I, you on this radio yeah. show to have an intervention with you, bro. That, this is horrible. Yeah. Stop. I mean what other what other direction would it go? Of course it's getting better. You're right. you're learning your shit, you're getting better gear, but like I listened to the Dead at Midnight the other day, and I was like, "How are you getting those goddamn stand-up bass tones, dude? Like, that's one of the hardest things to record." And I'm like, "This thing sounds awesome, dude." Right. Yeah, yeah. I hate recording stand-up bass. It's the yeah. worst. Well, it's, it's the worst instrument to record. Yeah, it's uh, your shit is sounding so good. And thanks, man. I don't know. Tell me what what's up with Not for Sale. Oh, uh, Not for Sale. So Not for Sale is my favorite thing right now. Of course, I'm in the band. But um, it's our buddy Jared Davis. He's been in a couple bands out here for years. Uh, Metasopheles uh, being the most notable one. And um, so uh, he he moved out here from Alabama, I think, in the early 2000s. So it's this dude, Jared Davis. He, I, I describe him. He's like a punk rock boomhauer, right? 
Like when he talks to me, man, the whole time is like this. He'd be like, "Hey, man, check it out." Like so, the other day we're going down the road with some damn, but it just fucking don't stop. He's a fucking genius, dude. The guy's smart as yeah. shit. And he's talking about interesting shit. He just talks really fast, but he's really cool, man. But he's got um. Oh, you're gonna hear my bird here in a second. She's mad about me talking about Jared Davis. She don't like him. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I'm walking away from the phone, but uh, I'll edit this. But I'm walking away from the phone, but I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm into the mic still. So, anyways, um, Jared Davis writes amazing songs. And these amazing songs uh, are like he always performs them acoustic. And you'd see him like for a while, dude. He used to be like on some hard times. And you'd actually see him like on the side of the road on the freeway off of Charleston and Ellis singing. And dude's got just a voice of fucking gold, man. It's like this real soulful thing that you can only get from apparently being Southern in Alabama. So yeah. we'd always been big fans of him. Um, and it got to a certain point where it was like uh, with both of our projects that we had some free time and everything worked out where Jared was like hitting his strides personally. And, and we were really fucking proud of him for really like stepping up his game. And um, uh, and we were like, dude, let's bust these songs out finally. And like, you know, I've always felt like if you can have an acoustic song that moves people, once yeah. you start arranging uh, or putting arrangements around that. They really, like no matter which direction you go, I don't care if it be metal or classical. Like a good song is a good song. So he's got these amazing songs, and then um, yeah, me and Robbie get to like really, really booking those amazing songs with like he's uh, it's Robbie's um, drummer from Anti Vision. Yeah, and then uh, sorry, stupid bird. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> it's on so many recordings that bird it'll be in the background I'll go to edit <laughs> it'll be like checking the overheads and it'll be like oh, God damn it. no one knows no one ever hears. But anyways, so um. Yeah, we really get to book in this kid's amazing fucking songs with like a, a lot of energy and we have a lot of fun with the whole thing. Hold on yeah. real quick. I'm going to go shut a door and put this okay. interview on pause. No problem. All right, cool. So, um, so yeah, so we love working with Jared because he's got these amazing songs, um, and we've been playing together about. Uh, we started right at the beginning of quarantine, yeah. and so basically, like as soon as like we got the uh, everyone the vaccine came out, we could start fucking practicing. So then we were just drilling like a ten song set, yeah. And then uh, we got that worked out, and um, to be honest, this is one of my favorite bands I've ever played in because pretty much in every band I've ever played in, I've been like the the wildest person on stage. Yeah, but the same could be said for all three of us that are in this band. So when we perform, nice. like I look over and everyone's just going fucking nuts, and you're like, I gotta go yeah. more nuts, and it's a fucking <laughs> blast, man. Yeah. But um, so is, is, that's your band now, or yeah, oh yeah, that's like yeah, I else? mean, I'm still like in the people's whiskey. Like we, you know, we're just kind of old men, so that's not a priority for a lot of people. And yeah. then uh, uh, yeah, that that'd be my big one right now. Is is not for sale. That's like my band band. So what's up with this new Cold War uh, record, dude? Yeah, what is up with this new Cold War record? Um, <laughs> John Brown picks it up once every six months for three days with me. Because <laughs> I'm like, dude, I, I mean, it's almost done, right? It is done. He just John. John paid you, for. I think you're gonna have to take. I think you're gonna have to take control and be like, we're doing this. No, I'm putting I, it out on Astrodem. Here's the problem Get. with that is that. I've already back ended my like I said I got nine releases right now, yeah. so then it becomes this thing like well shit, 
like okay we, we made ardent strider earlier on in the year like john came over with some stems and we yeah. uh i was gonna get the premix done because remember he uh mass georgini who's produced like a yeah fucking who's who of fucking shit that me and yeah. Andy grew up listening to had a studio flood and the dude's like one of the right. best producers in the game and john brown had bought a package for him at a discount rate when this studio had flooded probably in what 2000 probably 10 a years long ago. time ago like and i'm like fucking give it to me so. dude <laughs> and uh and I found out later TJ Sucker Punch was going to buy that deal, and John Brown got it out from under him. <laughs> oh, God. So I wanted it, too. Everyone wanted it. So John Brown got this elusive deal, and then we were a band, and then I was it's just everyone kind of went their own. I don't even know how, I don't even know what the fuck happened to New Cold War, to be honest yeah. with you. Like, we were a band, and then it just it always started as a backup band to all of our main bands, and so there was yeah. always this like no-pressure approach to it. And then at a certain point, like 2016 or 2017, everyone was like, yeah, I'm doing other shit. And so it kind of just stopped. But yeah, we, we got but, all the shit, and I got it because I was going to pre-mix it to send it, so he just had some super clean tracks that were really easy to run through. Yeah. And then so we got everything bounced down, and basically the holdup right now is John's old version of Pro Tools that doesn't like to play with any fucking thing nice at all. So he bounced out the tracks, and then they ended up being weird and time-stretched because anyways. So it's just yeah. been a headache. And yeah. I wish it was out, and it sounds amazing. And to this point, I'm just like, just let me fucking like, just just do it. But yeah, just do it, get but, it out. But John Brown like is having a blast, like running this whole radio network. So no, know I know, I, mean? I know. It's just it, my whole thing is like, dude, there was a lot of work put into it, and it's too good to you just hide. Me. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. <laughs> it'll come out eventually, man. I, yeah, yeah. I got a couple albums like that. I got like a uh, JJ who passed away from I Defy. I got his last band's like whole album canned right now just waiting to release just stuff like that it's kind of weird how that happens man like you know you start to get older and people pass away and the more lives you touch the more that you're like oh shit like i have i have snapshots of that person's life and so yeah it's kind of crazy yeah well i keep trying to work a way out that i can come down there and get my band to do an ep with you and stuff but it's just so goddamn hard but the easier way to do that would be have me have me come up there yeah because I can just, like, you've got an interface, and I can just bring up, my, like, my little audience, 8 x eight out. I can bring a 2U rack, check Dude, that, I am and I can have, so like, down. Yes. Because, I, you, to me, like, I'm not precious about this shit. A lot of people who work in studios are very precious about, like, we need to have the acoustics right. And, and like, yeah, I don't give a fuck, man. To be honest, like, if you give me a good fucking, like, what's important to me is, are you going to perform good? Are you going to have a good time? Is it going to yeah. sound like an enjoyable recording that people were enjoying yeah. themselves when they recorded it? So I'm like, totally down to do something like that, dude. Because yeah. we got a basement where we record. I can use a warehouse over it um, at the brewery, or I could even, uh, you know, rent out a studio for a weekend, dude. Nah, so, I wouldn't no even want the studio. Deal. That'd be fun to do, like like the brewery and just get a big old huge fucking drum sound. You know what I mean? Just have yeah. fun drinking beers at a brewery and making a punk record. I think that we should try to do that, dude. Yeah. Well, you that guys hear it here be, first on the podcast. We're making our personal plans for later. <laughs> I, I think that would be awesome to be able to say, oh, yeah, we recorded this at a fucking brewery while well, we were drinking and beer. Then, and then the thing is then we layer the extra dynamic, which is then we get video out. You get the DSLR out. I get my little steady cam yeah. out. And then we capture the whole thing as that, right? Then you release yeah. the actual recordings yeah. as, a, as a, you know, Spotify, whatever. But then yep. you have the YouTube versions of that where you're seeing – that thing happened too. That is like a great food. idea, Code. Yeah, man. That's great idea. I'm so on board. I've, yeah. I've been trying to trying to to write a few songs because I'm trying to do a split with my buddy's band, Black Crosses. Yeah, yeah. And Those I was just going to record all that stuff. And uh, 
it's just there's a lot of bands out there that don't want to do splits. It's weird, man. And Here's I'm just the thing like, about splits that I didn't realize until I've been putting them out is there is no way to properly accredit each band digitally for split really? songs. Like, yeah, if you if you go and pull up, and, and I mean, this is true for yeah. like if you pull up the BOYO splits, it'll say Rancid and No Effects, but you can't click on either one of the names to link to gotcha. their uh, hyperlink to their digital. So, like, yeah, uh, I have the Social Set and Anti Vision did a split. And like you yeah. know, some songs it's like social sets the lead writer when it's an anti vision songs and with this skull drug yeah. and anti vision split we just did same thing so we actually uh, I'm doing a split with not for sale in the line cutters and that's a, that's another thing it's just like all right guys so you know that we're all proper it's not gonna work out good digitally but it'll be out there you know so yeah yeah that well might I'm, yeah be it. yeah well I mean I've been hitting up bands just because like I don't know when I was growing up. A lot of the seven inches I bought were all these splits, dude. And oh, I'm like, dude. okay, I got a, I got a seven inch as a punk band. Now I need a split to be a Can legit Can I interrupt punk, you on this? Dude. Yeah, go. Uh, Kate from the uh, Seriously's and Negative Nancy's yeah. just started a, a regional split seven inch only label. And That's she needs awesome. bands. You have to reach out oh, to her yeah. for the Reno scene. Um, yeah. She just did her first one with, I think, it's either Lean 13 and the Boulevard Bullies and then somebody from the Phoenix scene. But okay. I'm going to be helping doing the recording for that because, like, I, my thing yeah. about vinyls, I don't have the money for it. But yeah, so yeah, I'm going to yeah. be helping out on that label. Whereas, like, if she's finding the bands and she's going to front the money for the vinyl, again, yeah. my, my idea here is to pr promulgate culture. So I was like, cool, if you're going to front the money for the vinyl, we'll, we'll basically, I'll record for free, you know, and we yeah. can make this fucking happen. So there I'm actually so is right that. now a regional, local, you know, Nevada-based, seven-inch yeah. split-only vinyl record label. That's, I fuck, I wish I knew her name. God damn it, I feel so bad right now. But, it's uh, all good. Yeah, 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 dude. I am, I, yeah, I'm at the point right now where I'm just like, I need to make stuff. I need to create. I need to do something. And I have this band to do that. The other guys in the band might not be as, you know, pumped to do all this shit but i'm like we're doing this dude like, that's how you gotta I, do man i'm 44 years old bro i gotta put some shit out before i die man you know what i mean bro you got so, a long time to go man that, that's, i know that's but the you thing, know how man. it is i was kicking it you're with the, the 60s year olds last night who've been in the scene and yeah. they're still out fucking but killing it and i'm like you, you know, know how it is you, yeah you get that bug and you're like i gotta do i gotta do stuff gotta i live that stuff. bug is so, my life man <laughs> yeah me too so i'm 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 oh, like i, I want to do splits i want to do yeah, whatever. So no, but you're anyway. doing it. But you're you're doing it too, though. Like you're on the same fucking path. You do great audio engineering in your own right. All your shit sounds clean as fuck, man. Like you don't like, yeah. you know what I mean. Not to say that you you don't have a lot of room to grow. And the reason you have a lot yeah. of room to grow is because of how talented you are. And anyone who's talented right. is going to grow in their field. So, I think you're already doing it. And you possess like, you dial that in a little bit, and then you're where I'm at. Like you got the same yeah. skill I got, if not way more way right. more in the visual department like you fucking went to school for this so like <laughs> the idea is like you can do this too but the difference is yeah. i don't have a family to take care of like i sit yeah, here yeah, yeah. and i just do this my job is to be able to do this you know what yeah. i mean and so i have enough passive strings of income that i'm lucky enough to be able to like sit here and be like all i care about is local music and yeah uh, yeah <laughs> you know i don't necessarily have like kids being like hey dad i've got like school and things i do after school and feeding yeah. me and clothing me <clears throat> Yeah. And, you know, giving me love and attention and validation and teaching me the ways of the world and what not to be as a person. I don't have any of that. Yeah. So, yeah, well, respect I, to you I, for having the bug with that and still pulling yeah. off what you do. I appreciate it, man. I, I, I appreciate it. And I want to tell you, like, I, I'm not trying to sound like an old man here, but I'm proud of what you're doing, man. Like, the the you are easily a one-man scene you know what i mean like you're creating a scene i know you have help but I, if it wasn't for you and your okay. vision can i be honest when i first started this 
I kind of felt a little bit like that. Like, I'm going to make a scene. Where the Las Vegas music scene is right now, like, I'm not going to say I'm not important because, like, other people might be like, no, Cody does a lot. And just on yeah. lieu of what I do. But to be honest with you, if I left tomorrow, it'd be fucking fine. It's healthy. It, all I oh, ever wanted I to do was to help I'm to not, inspire. Yeah. And I really feel like yeah. the scene's there, dude. Like, it's so great. I get here. it. But from an outside standpoint, I, and I know there's a scene there. You know, I was part of that scene at one point, too. But from an outside standpoint... You are adding more to that scene than a lot of other people. And I think, you know, what you're doing is super important. And, like, the history that you are making, like, it makes me proud to even know you who started way down low. And now you're making stuff that's like, shit, that sounds fucking good. You know what I mean? I sent these tracks to people who know me that long. Like, no one else is, like, anyone who meets me now is just going to meet me now. Not a lot of people. Like, when I joined Surrounded by Thieves, I was fucking couch surfing. I didn't have a fucking... I had sold my car off. I had nothing in my name, and they almost kicked me yeah. out because I was homeless, and it was really inconvenient to get me to practice because, like, yeah. I did not have my shit together, admittedly. I was fucking around on drugs too much and just cared too yeah. much about partying and punk rock. So not a lot of people know me from back then except some of the older cats. So yeah. I, I respect that, you you know, you've seen me come from there. Yeah, it's awesome. I, uh, I've taken enough of your time. So yeah. I think uh, I miss you, buddy. I miss you too, man. Let's uh, like I said, let's get some I content miss, made. Yeah, let's do. Let's. I, I'm absolutely serious about doing something together. I know you're a busy dude, but let's fit in something, man. No, I, I, I want to do some shit with you. I'm busy, and it's just, I just, I'm busy to like. If you hit me up, that's how I'm busy. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not no, so busy I that I don't take on projects. I'm busy because yeah. I like to take on projects. there you have it the man the myth the legend cody i miss you homie great conversation go to justpunknuff.com and check out everything go to asteroidmrecords.com anti-vision just put out a new single asteroid m is doing a lot of stuff need to go check it out all these sessions and uh recordings it's good stuff thanks for listening guys bye